What's up, party people? It's Talib Kweli, the BKMC, the MCEO. I love the fact that y'all checking out the People's Party and showing us a lot of love. You know what we do? We bringing you all the live guests. We bringing you the best podcast on the internet. Just make sure you subscribe and leave a review. People's Party, Talib Kweli. Let's go. What's up, party people in the place to be? It's your boy, Talib Kweli. This is another episode of People's Party. What up, Jasmine? What up, though? Give it up to my co-host, Jasmine Lee, in the place to be. How you feeling, Jasmine? I'm feeling amazing. Chilling at my house. How are you doing? <laughs> it's all good. It's another fantastic episode of People's Party. We have another fantastic guest. This man is an incredible human being. He's a friend of mine. He's a super, super awesome comedian. One of the best comedians I've ever seen work a stage. He's had a hell of a life. He uses his life as his material. He was born in Kuwait, came to Houston, Texas, H-Town already as a refugee. He was on the verge of dropping out of school until he found his comedy voice. Since then, he has toured the world with Dave Chappelle, with Jon Stewart. He's been on stages with myself at Yasin Bey. He's got one of the best comedy specials on Netflix, and that's a crowded market, so if you have the best, you know you're doing some things. The Vagabond, I encourage everybody to check it out. It's very funny. It's sure to expand your worldview. Ladies and gentlemen, Mo Amr. Did I say that right? I mean, I can't, I can't follow this intro. This like, this is, I can't live up to these expectations. I almost cried three times. I'm like, I did that? I'm like, man, it's, it's so great. <laughs> oh so man, Greg, what's happening? And I so, and I can't believe how flagrant I'm being right now. I'm wearing the the Rockets first championship 1994 hat. I mean, I'm Ace Town. Yeah, I know, but it's like I know you're from New York. I just this whole the whole reason I brought this hat is so I can taunt Michael Che and he left before I could wear the damn hat. <laughs> and now I'm accidentally taunting you subconsciously. I just wanted to address well, it right out the gate. Well, I'm glad you did that because, I, I mean, people get it twisted. They see me with a lot of different baseball hats or NBA hats, and they think that I actually care about sports, and I don't. I just like baseball hats a lot. I grew up playing baseball. You know, there's a thing right now in baseball, right, where the Houston Astros got caught cheating and then the Yankees got caught cheating, right? Is that is that a thing right now? So wonderful. I really love that, <laughs> how this story turned out. Because when I was being interviewed for shows in New York, uh, they were that's all they kept wanting to talk about. I'm like, you guys are the worst. How many championships do you guys want? And you just ran like, y'all cheating. They're cheating. You're telling me like not a, one other baseball player in history like put grease on his palms. Like, this part of baseball. Right. And then like a year later, bam. The, this I was so, I felt so vindicated and happy to hear about it. They should all cheat all the time, honestly. They should all <laughs> oh, God. Just shoot steroids. I want to see 80 home runs every year. Everybody, I mean, they I getting, see. They're getting paid a lot of money, bro. They have a lot of money on that line. <laughs> um, Let's just see it. Mo, um, yeah. I know you as, as Mo, the homie Mo, and it just occurred to me as I was introducing you that I don't get to say your last name that often. Um, so did I say it right? Um, you said it in the best way possible <laughs> in the American pronunciation. No, I'm serious because yes. it's ah, it. it's a ah, and nobody knows how to do the ah. They're like, what's the ah? It's a whole ah, other, ah, it's like, ah, it, man. Well, ah, it's not an ah, it's not an ah, that's an elif. And then ah is a whole totally different letter. So it's like, imagine the top of your throat closing mm -hmm. and then pushing out air at the last second. And it okay. makes the ah sound, which is never going to happen. So... Amr is the best way you could ever pronounce it. Okay. Everybody says Amr, Amir, 
Amur, which is really Amur. frustrating. <laughs> yeah, it's horrible. Okay. So you just have to live with it for the whole life. But really, my full name is Muhammad Mustafa Badwa'ama Omar Najjar, but that's a whole other story. Um, <laughs> you, you talk about your brother taking you to see Bill Cosby when you were younger. Mm -hmm. And you were raised in Houston, or we got to Houston when you were nine. Um, you know, Bill Cosby, were you also influenced by Bill Hicks? Absolutely. Well, later on, you know, you, when you come, I, I was nine years old when I got mm -hmm. to Houston. Mm -hmm. So there was a lot of catching up to do. You know what I mean? Like there was... Mm -hmm. Like my my sisters in Houston were watching like Moonlighting with yeah that was the know, shit Bruce Willis and, and Sybil Shepherd. Shepherd. I, mean, I used to watch that show every Tuesday on ABC. That's right. So that's when we used to get that show and like the NBA started coming to Kuwait right. and and you just you know you knew Michael Jackson of course you knew the super superstars mm -hmm. and uh, and there was like this huge gap like when I started stand up in '99 in Houston. People walking up to me like, hey, do you know Bill Hicks? Do you know Sam Kennison? Do you know mm -hmm. Eddie Murphy? I'm like, who, who are these people? Like, I didn't know. There was like such a catch up that had to happen. And uh, yeah, of course, Bill Hicks. And I'm like a student of the art form, of course. And, and I love and admire Bill Hicks. I still listen to him to this day. He's so incredibly relevant today. He's a, he's a monster. And more, my mentor, Danny Martinez, mm -hmm. started with Bill Hicks around that era of the early 80s. Right, he was doing those clubs in Houston. Yep, exactly. And he would, and he actually had to fire him one night. Mm. He had to, because he was so drunk and high, and he walked the room Friday, and Danny was oh, like, no. I, I don't know what else to do, bro. I have to, like, fire you. I, I don't, this kills me to do it. I'm a comedian. Like, it's horrible. But mm -hmm. I have to do it. And he apologized to Danny. He said, listen, I'm going to come back and give you the two sets of my life tomorrow. Mm. And sure enough, he came back the next day and got two standing ovations. And it's mm. like, I remember I hold and I, you know, grew up around the guys that he hung out with and, and that did stand up still to this day. You know, Andy Huggins is going out doing sets. And, you know, I one of the first headliners that took me out, Jim Holder, we used to watch him and admire him. And I could see the influence in him to this day. So, okay. yeah, absolutely. And, of course, Sam and everything. People come up to me like, man, you sound like Sam. I'm like, who's Sam? <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> Word up. I grew up watching that dude, too. Um, your family came to the United States during the first Iraq war. Uh, Operation Desert Shield came to Houston, which I think is interesting that y'all went from Kuwait, which is known for oil, to Houston, which is known for oil. Um, but you know, it was it was it was war. I mean, Kuwait was going through a lot of a lot of negative, violent stuff. Um, did you personally experience fear or trauma connected to that violence, or were your did your parents effectively shield you from it? That's a man. That's an incredible question, bro. And um, it's a it's a multi-layer question being that I'm Palestinian. So mm -hmm. you have to you have to do the time that I was also in the womb, you know, like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What my mother grew up with, what she my mother was born in 48, you know, mm -hmm. like a month after the establishment of the state of Israel and what they how they had they had to like leave Tel Aviv and go to um I'm sorry, Haifa and go to uh Burin where we're from. So it's it's just really uh a tough one you know it goes back many many years um and it comes down to like statelessness and having like this belonging to a place and not being able to go there is already mm. part of your life but i mm. they shielded me so well of it like in kuwait like we my father may rest in peace had a beautiful you know had a great job had businesses he flourished as a telecommunications engineer he was an amazing man and uh, somebody who was very complex himself and 
and uh, loved technology and camcorders and phones and just like he had all the latest stuff and it was so interesting to grow up in that way and uh, and you know so I didn't experience that so when the Gulf War happened and you see your parents for the first time feel insecure or fearful that changes everything hmm. uh, and the in the in the violence that I saw was you know they shielded me in a way where I stayed there for only two months throughout hmm. the entire thing so. I slept through when the Iraqis came in and busted our door open. I was passed out. I was a deep sleeper, bro. I was completely passed out. My mom said they were gonna they were gonna charge my room from the outside through the window. She said that they were gonna throw some kind of grenade in there. They were threatening to get some truth out of them, like where are you from, your background, because wow. they were interrogating Kuwaitis. Mm-hmm. So I was like straight just out. I didn't even experience that at all. I experienced the phone call that the Iraqis are coming at 6 a.m. And my mom and dad like started, you know, there was like, of course, you go to the grocery store, trying to buy rice, things that are not perishable, you can keep for a long time. Mm-hmm. And so that was like, oh, my God, what's going to happen? That uncertainty and what's the game plan? And then the, you know, once the uh, Iraqis made um, landfall in Ahmadi, where we're, where I was born and to our neighborhood, which was a oil, um, it was by, owned by the Kuwaiti oil company. So that's also a hot spot. And there was mm-hmm. like, there was a uh, palace at the end of the street. Like when I say palace, like a big home here in Houston. Like they would they would host, uh, like the the sheikhs would host um, uh, different you know prime ministers and presidents that would come in and or ambassadors or whatnot. They usually put them up there. So it was it was a hot spot in our neighborhood. So everything mm-hmm. completely changed, man. Like parking our cars in front of the windows because. Saddam, like, you know, over time, over these two months, three, yeah, almost three months, I experienced like the, you know, Saddam Hussein releasing all these thieves from jails, instructed them to steal, and, you know, Mercedes dealerships were like gone and overnight. Like, it was very impressive how fast they could steal Mercedes, a whole dealership, nonetheless. And it was just right. one of those things that was siphoning gas out of people's cars. And it was definitely a super tense time. I remember selling whatever we had of the stock of phones with my dad, you know, on, on uh, like this, this corner, I don't remember where it was at, but it was like a desertous like street corner. And there was a bunch of vendors that were selling their items and people buying them up. It was just like, it's gotta go. We gotta go. And, uh, and I remember playing soccer with the Iraqi soldiers because we still wanted to be like normal, but they were treated us very well when they learned we were Palestinian. You know, like I say, well, like, you know, right, relatively. Nobody, you know, relatively. Of course, the mm-hmm. Kuwaitis got the brunt of it, and it was like a tough spot for a Palestinian to be there because Arafat supported Saddam, and then like mm-hmm. the Americans came in, and the Kuwaitis were upset about that, understandably. Like, totally mm-hmm. get it. Like, I, I just, it was just, it was a really tough situation for my, for my family for sure. Uh, as a nine-year-old, you, you, they do shield you from a lot of it, but you can't. Mm-hmm. I'm a hyper assessor. I look around and I see what's going on. And I, I played soccer with these guys. Like, you know, right. like a, a few of the friends that were still there would go play. And you saw that these guys were just didn't really want to be there either. You know, mm-hmm. these uh, Iraqi soldiers didn't enjoy being there. They looked like they were hungry, bro. Like they mm-hmm. were literally, they looked hungry. They were in an eight year war with uh, Iran at that point. So it's just like, it just, um, I just remember being very sad and feeling very uprooted. And that like, mm-hmm. now I've, now it's like I'm never gonna see my uncles again, like aunts again. This is just a lot of uncertainty, and it's it is definitely a lot to process. And mm-hmm. I didn't find out all the you know the meat of it until later on, you know, like in my mid twenties, probably like ten, right, ten twelve years ago. I started finding out more and more about what's going on. 
And then you get to Houston and it's crazy being a Middle Easterner, middle, a Middle Easterner in Houston, Texas, which is home of the Bush family who started both Iraq wars. Uh, how did you grow up experiencing the city of Houston? Man, it was lovely. You know, it was like a lot of fish out of water <laughs> stuff, of course, where you're learning to be cool. Like, I didn't know this concept, you know, I'd go to school. I didn't know how to. I didn't know that you had to wear certain kicks or you're going to get, you know, mm -hmm. you're going to get beat down or if you're, I just, there's a lot of catch up right. going on. You know, there's a lot of assessment going on. Like first time I saw black folks play the cousins, you know, play the game, play, excuse me, play the dozens. Like mm -hmm. I just, I, was like, okay. before, like, <laughs> I like the cousins though. That, I was yeah, like playing the cousins. Like, oh. we I spoke to do you before we started. What do you want me to do? Okay. I'm hey, doing my know. best out here. Uh, <laughs> I mean, like for real, like I, I just that was like such an experience for me. Like it was, it was, uh, it was. I, you know, A Leaf is a special neighborhood, man. A Leaf, the SWAT, Southwest A Leaf, Texas, is a unique neighborhood. I think there's like 80 languages spoken in A Leaf alone. Wow. So it is just like a really diverse Melting group pot. of people. It really is. I would say salad bowl because okay, in salad bowl. Each culture gets to retain its own texture and feel so it's like melting melting pot i've never liked that my boy was her shout out to az he mm -hmm. said like he's just like you're saying that essentially your culture is leaving you you know yeah, homogenized melting into one yeah exactly yeah salad so salad it, bowl is good because it reminds me of the salad days and that's salad. Get, that's the salad days that's the beginning of your of your journey they, when they bring the salad out that's just the beginning that's the that's the salad days of your journey salad days <laughs> yeah i got that, that from uh i got that from raising arizona uh, you know, Coen Brothers film. There's a scene when, when, when at the beginning, you know, at the beginning that film is like narrated over that music, like, and it's like they, there's a scene, there's a scene of of Nick Cage and and Holly Hunter holding hands, watching the sun sunrise sun sun go down, and he's talking about how it was back in the days. He goes, "Those were the salad days," <laughs> and she goes, Holly Hunter goes, "That was nice." Yeah, man. <laughs> it's been a hot minute since I've seen that movie. When you said Coen Brothers that opens up with a narration, I'm like, you mean all of them? Oh, all of them, right. Yeah, you know. That was the one. That was, that's the one for me. I like all of them, but that's my favorite, I think. Or Big Lebowski's really my favorite. But um but, I don't um, know, man. Oh brother. That's oh, good. Brother the, were art thou? That's good. You know, that's good. That's good. The music is very good. You know, but that's I still what like I loved about it. The music is is spectacular, but I still love the Big Lebowski, you know. Which had, you know, good music too. But growing up in Houston, back to Houston, Ace Town, mm -hmm. mm -hmm. you talk about the culture shock of seeing black people, black people play the dozens. But there's like a black Mexican divide, and there's black Mexican unity. And I feel like you've done uh, routines about being pressured to join uh, Mexican gangs. But can you break down really like? the gang scene in Houston and what that experience was, was like for you and how you were able to possibly use creativity and humor to navigate some of it. Oh man, this is like all I had is humor, you know, okay. that's all I had is to maneuver out of those situations. Um, you know, it was like gang culture became more of a problem like in high school mm -hmm. and, and I would get mistaken because I'm, um, I look Mexican. People don't know. At that point, there wasn't a lot of Muhammad's in the school district. I was one of the early Muhammad's there. 
So people had no idea, you know, and mm-hmm. Latinos would try to recruit me thinking I'm Mexican. Dang. And then black folks wanted to beat me up because they thought I was Mexican. You know, <laughs> like that was my special. But then like, I, I remember like walk, I skipped all these classes just so I can have lunch four times that day and hang around my friends. And I did that too. I remember this. Yeah. It's like yeah, it the, the lunch thing to room. do. That was the home. That's it. That's yeah. it. And then all I got All four jumped. periods. You got yeah. jumped, you said? <laughs> I got jumped, yeah, because this this guy thought I was like they were egging him on, like, "Yo, you want to be cool with us? You got to hit this Mexican, basically." <laughs> and I was like, "Guys, I'm not Mexican." <laughs> like, <how many> times <laughs> this conversation, and I got sucker punch, and I got suspended too. I'm like, I didn't even get to retaliate. Like, it was the cops standing right there, look like complete assholes. Like, you know what? Forget this. And then when when black folks find out when it was Muhammad. The complete vibe change. They'd be like, oh, shit. So I'm like, bro, how's it going? Like, they just <laughs> completely flipped. And then, you know, learning Spanish helped me out, too. You know, I can, mm-hmm. it was like, it was a, th- it was so easy to learn Spanish knowing Arabic. And that's like a massive tool. Like, oh, do you know Spanish? And you, estamos Arabia? Sí, estamos Arabia, todo palatino, amigo. Oh, chinga, madre, habla español, perfecto. You got to learn how to survive, bro. Mm. And that's what it comes down to. I didn't catch up to Vietnamese, the huge Vietnamese population. I just, I just quit okay. after Mexico, after Spanish. I just quit. How do you uh, feel like Houston is processing the whole George Floyd situation? And I know you live in LA now, but do you still feel tied no, to I the don't. city? I live in Houston. I live in Houston. Oh, you live in Houston. Yeah, 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 I do. I do absolutely live in Houston. Um, you know, Big Floyd is obviously a, he's from Third Ward, Detroit, and that's. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a heavy, heavy situation. We can, I mean, that's, yeah. Anyway, how Houston's processing, Houston was angry as they should be. You know, the whole mm-hmm. planet, as we saw, the whole planet is angry. I'm I'm upset. I'm really, really upset. I've been upset about this for years. Um, and it's something like, as a Palestinian, I get. Like, I just, I mean, I did defer to Trey and Bon. I texted them immediately, like, what's going down? Where do we go? What's happening? And they put on a... Uh, a really beautiful rally that was peaceful, that was poignant with his family and we marched and it was just an incredible experience to be part of that. And it's really, you know, you know, really important to me because of my background. It feels, I feel it even deeper because of my background, uh, being Palestinian. And there is, there, you know, there is similarities, but there is a gigantic difference mm-hmm. between what black people are experiencing in America to what Palestinians and the natives the Indians experience here in America is a massive difference. Like the black folks in America, African Americans that were brought here, their entire lineage was erased. At least I know where I come from. Mm-hmm. You know, at least I know where I come from. And that is a, you know, that is a, just a, there's no words to describe how big of injustice that is. Someone that can't trace their lineage and understand who their great 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 grandfather is is just despicable and to see that you know people are just turning a blind eye to this situation is really really frustrating and so we've had it george floyd you know as dave said he is our champion because he's the guy and that's who mm-hmm. god if you believe if you are a believer you know you didn't nobody picked him god picked him. that's what happened and this is what this was this last straw. We're done with it, and it still keeps going on. Like mm-hmm. I mean, this thing that happened in Atlanta is 
is devastating to read about yeah. it again. And even when the preliminary first first the article started coming out or like you're seeing the different tweets i'm like i already know how this turned out bro mm -hmm. and then i watched it i'm like why this guy is saying i can walk to my house right and as a police right officer here. why don't you say can i please take you there why don't you be a civil servant mm -hmm. and take right. him there put him to bed Right. And leave with a sense like I did something to that prevented a drunk driver. Why is my focus on like, can you drive? You can't drive. Oh, shit. I'm going to put you in the car. Why is that your primary fucking focus mm -hmm. when you already had this guy? Obviously, this this man communicating to you in a although he might have been tipsy, you could tell like he had a few, but he still was aware enough to try to sleep it off in the parking lot and try to say, mm -hmm. I can walk to my house, trying to diffuse the situation. But all your focus is trying to get him on a fucking breath breathalyzer and has got your shit and put him in a car and then you shoot him in the fucking back. Like, kiss my in ass, back. bro. Like, get the fuck yeah. out of here. Get the fuck out of here. And I'm yeah. so tired of this. Like, can you believe what Trump said? Yes, I can. He said he will murder somebody in cold blood and get away with it. I don't need to hear anything else that's going to shock me after that. Like, oh, he sexually assaults women? Really? I didn't. That's a shocker. Like, mm -hmm. how can that be shocking to you after he said that he can just shoot somebody in cold blood on Fifth Avenue and just get away with no it? No doubt. I'm done. I'm done. I feel like I'm there. Like, you know, I got like whenever I look at whatever his clips are, what have you, I always feel like I uh, I like I got cast in a reality show that I didn't audition for. Nice. I'm like, I don't remember auditioning for this show, man. I need to tap out. Like, this is no too doubt. much. I already know this is fake. Does it, anybody truly believe he's running the country? Like, do you think somebody who can't come up with a coherent sentence is is able to run a sophisticated you know, country like it's not and and juggle world politics. Give me a fucking break, man. You ain't doing well, shit. brother, I love your conviction, and that's why I fuck with you in the way that I do. You know what I'm saying? Man, um, love, bro. Um, your experiences with hip hop in Houston, like you are mm -hmm. a hip hop head, and um, it just pours out of you, it emanates out of you. You called George Floyd Big Floyd because a lot of people don't know that his connection to hip hop, and especially in the city of Houston. Um, Bun B, Trader Truth, these are ambassadors of the culture. Like, you have great relationships with them. Um, Hip-hop has always addressed systematic oppression and marginalization while being cool. Um, but Houston hip-hop is just is something different musically, something different with the way that they use the guitars, and something different with the way that the, 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 the swang of it, like... like can you talk to me about your connection specifically with Houston hip hop? Oh man, listen, I, the first time I heard that was such a big thing. Like we had a screw chopped up, screwed up shop. Like, you know what I mean? Like you just went and got these cassette tapes and Ailey. Mm -hmm. That was like the biggest turn for me. Like the first time I, I heard hip hop and he's the first one is my mind playing tricks on me. That's literally mm -hmm. the first hip hop song I've ever heard in my entire life. And my brother had a cassette tape, and I was like, what is this? It was like 91. And I put it on, I listened to it, and I just felt so connected to it. I saw the entire story. Mm -hmm. I saw this guy struggle. I saw everything about it. And I was immediately just, man, this is it. You know, and to see how everyone is just like reacting to it in A-Leaf, how they felt about it, part of the vibe, and just like how everything is like really slowed down like that. It would just fit in with that Southern vibe. 
mm-hmm. and uh, I grew up idolizing. I mean, Bumby's like I just absolutely. I mean, that's who I listened to. That's who I live and breathe with. A little Kiki, of course, one mm-hmm. of the iconic Houston rappers. Zero, uh, Trey, and just knowing these people now is is like what the fuck is going on? Paul Wall. I mean, like meeting mm-hmm. Paul Wall, uh, and obviously before that, I mean, yeah, I mean, like. Uh, um, Man, there's just so much that I don't even want to, my mind is skipping right now. Right. Uh, it's just like such a such a big part of my life. I mean, it's such a massive part of my life. But I mean, like to see everybody that's coming up after that as well, Toby Nuewe, like he's unbelievable. I mean, there's definitely like, as like Travis Scott, of course, coming on strong. I mean, like, I mean, it's Travis Scott doing Astroworld is such a, such like, a, he hit a, struck such a nerve with Houston when you talk about mm-hmm. Astroworld. That's like, that was like everybody's babysitter when we were growing up. Mm-hmm. You drop off your kids at Astroworld, in the yeah. world. And he really struck a nerve with that and having Lizzo. And then, I mean, oh, just man, like, she's fantastic. I love yeah, her. Yeah, she's absolutely fantastic. I mean, um, it was just man, brother, so much, man. It was, it was that era in the '90s was like one of the most exciting eras in you know Houston hip hop to us. Like we felt like we were coming in our own, and we were just listening to something a sound that we've never heard before. I couldn't believe it. Actually, just like hearing DJ Screw's version of like I don't know who mixes, but I'm sure it's I'm I give it all to DJ Screw at this point. Right. But this the the um, the song he screwed just chopped up version of Tupac looking at the world to my rear view. Mm-hmm. Um, that's like one of the things it's just like I couldn't believe how you could just do something with this sound that way and just June 27th freestyle Big Mo I mean mm. my god bro I want to put that in a show one day like that right. has to be in there like it's just that's yeah man it's just so much bro it's like if you haven't looked up these guys or don't know the you know the history of Houston hip hop and listen to it it's just like, I don't know, man. I saw that DJ Screw uh, documentary that I think RZA put together. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've I haven't seen, seen it. it. No, I haven't seen it. Yeah, I've just seen clips of it. I, I was just so excited to see something mm-hmm. popping off in Houston. There's really something in the water, man. No doubt. And uh, you forgot a major player who's a, <clears throat> who's a rapper now out of Houston, Beyonce. Can't forget the queen. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, Beyonce. We still every time we drive by our house smoking weed in Third Ward, like in we're, my boy was like, "There you go, man. That Beyonce, that's Beyonce house right there." Boy. <laughs> every time we drive by, Beyonce live there for real. Word, yeah, she was in front, probably practicing, choreographing and shit. And I just saw it on Google Maps. They just put it on, you know, like it's in Google Maps now. Beyonce's mm. childhood home. You've talked a lot about um, the teacher that gave you a chance to save your grades by reciting Shakespeare and doing stand-up in class. Can you talk about the impact that one teacher can have on a kid's life? You're so funny you say that. I found her on Facebook. Like, wow. actually, a fan of mine found her for me on Facebook, and I just sent her a letter. She hasn't replied. She hasn't seen it yet. But I sent her a really mm. long letter because she um, completely transformed my life. Mm. Uh, I knew I wanted to do stand-up when I was 10, when I saw Cosby at the Astrodome at the Houston Livestock Show and Rodeo. Uh, he mm-hmm. was co-headlining with the band Alabama, which is hilarious. Okay. Uh, <laughs> and I just remember, you know, 67,000 people and this man on a rotating stage so far away, just still connecting and really just, I just never seen the art form before. I've never, uh, I just said at that point, that's what I was going to do. I was going to be a stand-up mm. comedian. And then four years later, you know, my father passed away 
And it was just like I was skipping all the time. I haven't, I have never heard of Ferris Bueller's Day Off, but I was doing it all. I was going to baseball games with my boy, checking out Astros losing in the playoffs, you know, and just like, just that's all we did. I just skipped right. all the time. I was completely uninterested in school. Me too, brother. Me too. <laughs> just, and also like transferring I was, from I was school in Kuwait king. to here. Yeah. Bro, it's the best time. We used to go mm-hmm. to my boy's house. They used to break dance and shit. Like we used to just go hang out. <laughs> we'd have play video games, watch Goodfellas. Like that. We just like fuck it, man. We just quit. I just quit personally. Like my boys, you uh, you know, I just had it was just tough for me, man. It was mm-hmm. like a really we it wasn't it was tough for a kid 14 years old to come here and then lose everything so fast and lose his father after that. It was just like the last straw for me. I was like, fuck it, I'm out. And to see the immediate discovery that, you know, American schools were so wildly different from schools overseas as far as like curriculum and how it's taught. Like, it's just like the process of it was just so uninteresting to me. And I just checked out, I was gone. So she, you know, she knew I was going through a tough time, Mrs. Reed. Uh, and she, um, and she came back and, you know, when I was in school one day, she goes, you know, you're going to fail. Anthony. I was like, I'm certain of it. You know, right, like, right, right, right. I was like, I'm certain I'm going to fail. She just said, no, you lost your father. I'm so sorry about that. I, I don't even want to know what to say, but how would he mm-hmm. feel if you don't graduate? It's like stabbing me right in the heart. I was like, damn, with some cold ass bars, Mrs. Reed. And I'm like, <laughs> like crying and shit. Like, you got me crying in front of everybody. Like, what you do? Take me aside. And, right. uh, and it was one of those situations that I was like, my father would be devastated. I come, mm. you know, from a family who, um, you know, takes pride in education and, and um, it would be it would be awful if that happened. So she said, don't you want to be a stand up comedian? She's like, yes. And she goes, well, I'll let you do stand up in front of the class. But here's the deal. You can't skip anymore. You can't miss any more school. And, um, and I'll just like basically work with you, you know, but I'll let you do stand up as, you know, as much as we can. And, uh, I was like, hell yeah. So I, and one of the first things was she said that, well, um, if you recite a monologue from Shakespeare, then I'll, you know, basically let you slide on this particular assignment. I was like, hell, can I do it right now? She was like, yeah. So I went in front of the class. I was, had the book in my hand. I was like, to me or not to me? You know? <laughs> and they just laughed. You know, it was ninth grade. So everybody was cracking right. up that I was doing this British accent. And then I was like, can I do a set tomorrow? I'm going to go write some material. And I wrote some material. And I came back the next day. And, and I did the set in front of the class and did all these different accents. I was very physical. I was a big fan of Chris Farley back then, too. Mm. And um, had a lot of that feel to it. And then it just stuck, man. And she, she took me to the theater arts department. And she said, I don't know. This kid, uh, she introduced me to Lou Jean Kreisner, who was my theater teacher. She said, this kid has been coming to class, doing all the different accents. And he's like killing in class. And he needs to, I think he needs to be in theater. Mm-hmm. And then she uh, pushed me to be to do that, uh, which I flirted around. I'd <clears throat> walk by those classes frequently, but I never you know, try to audition for anything. And then mm-hmm. um, I started getting like lead roles uh, six months later and was in Thespian Festival. I had a partial scholarship to the school of film and television in New York, which I couldn't make. And I was like, no, I'm going to do stand up. I couldn't leave my family like that. So that's, she changed my life. She completely changed my life. Man, let's give it up for Mrs. Reed and all the teachers out here. And this is this oh, is why seriously. we this is why we have to defund the police and and fund yes. the teachers and and more social programs. And I think what you just shared, you know, b- both my parents are teachers, Mo, and my uh, my mother uh, and father are both teachers at college. My brother's a teacher. I'm going to use this situation to to 
to segue into talking about Palestine because you have let us know you're Palestinian, right? And um, we had Vic Mensa on from Chicago, mm. great MC, and he made an excellent point. He said, uh, I was talking about my experience with BDS that I want to get into f- for a second. And he said he went to Palestine. Um, and he said, do you know what BDS is? Boycott, uh, divest, sanction. You know what BDS is when Palestinians say that? That's defund the police. They're saying the same exact thing. Um, and that was Vic Mensa's perspective. Just to give you some context from my perspective. Um, I've always aligned myself with social justice movements and 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 pro-black causes and 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 causes that help marginalized people. And on the Black Star album, Most Deaf, my partner who is a Muslim, uh, he said, "Rat, rat, raps gotta get to your back like Palestinians." And that bar made sense to me not because I knew the history of the region, but if Most Deaf a Muslim, my friend and my mentor to a large degree was supporting Palestine, it just made sense for me to support Palestine. So I would participate in Palestinian freedom uh, events, you know, whether it was a concert or whatever. And I would just show my support for Palestine through my art, but I still never understood the thing in the region. You know, I still understood the problem. So at one point in my career, I took a show in Israel, um, but the backlash I got from the BDS community, you know what I'm saying? And some of the Muslim community was so- I don't even want, I, I understand. Yeah, it was so crazy that, and I, and I was I, I stood my ground until I, I met there's a group a Palestinian rap group, Dam D A A M, right? Yep, yep. And them it's brothers, guys, re- yeah, they reached out to me from Palestine, and they were like, Kwali, we love Black Star, we grew up on Black Star, but please respect the boycott and please do not come to Palestine. And when they said that, I felt like if Palestinians from Palestine is asking me not to come, I just I can't come. And then what's interesting was was that I canceled my appearance. And then the backlash that I got from the Muslims and the Palestinian community and the BDS community, that was nothing. That was nothing compared to the backlash I got from the Zionist community for canceling the show. I mean, I got criticized by, by frustrated BDS people and there was some not nice things said about me, but there's no vitriol. There was no outright hatred. When I canceled that show, the hatred, I was called a nigger, I was called a monkey. It was crazy. And it made me feel like, okay, I made the right decision. And it was, I was being paid 10 times the amount I usually get paid to go to Israel. So that was like a lot of money that I don't make like that at one, one show that I turned down. So now I'm connected with this movement just because I'm trying to do the right thing, not because I really understand the situation. Wow. Right. So years later, years later, I'm doing shows in Germany at a place, Coney Island in Germany, this is a venue that I sold out many times in my career, and I get disinvited from a from a sold out show because they're like, you support BDS. So now I became a poster, poster boy for BDS, even though I'm like, okay, so now I'm getting venues canceled. And then in Germany, they made a ruling a, a, a couple of years later where anybody who supports BDS is anti-Semitic. So I, got, I had, I had a, a bunch of shows in a bunch of German cities that got canceled. Now... You performed tour dates in the West Bank in 2015. How do you balance the desire for a free Palestine with the understanding that all people on this planet need to feel like their culture and their history has a home, Palestinians and Israelis included? Well, you're trying to get me canceled. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what? I meant to start 
start out with, I know this is a hard question to ask, and we don't, you know, I want you to feel comfortable. This is a no. safe space for you. You know, but you know, you Look, are Palestinian, and you've mentioned it several times, and Look, I had to man, share my experience, bro. Mm-hmm. Alhamdulillah, Hallelujah. You know, it's like it's like, um, you know, what it, what am I supposed to do? Do you mm-hmm. want me to deny who I come from? Why are you trying to erase who I am? You know, mm-hmm. it's like, bro, I'm going to talk about being Palestinian because that's who I am. Mm-hmm. And I've held my grandfather's passport, which, you know, was a Palestinian passport issued by the United Kingdom. And it was written in Arabic, English and Hebrew. Mm-hmm. This whole idea that it's a Muslim Jewish thing mm-hmm. is just nauseating. It just it's just it's hurtful. People mm-hmm. say, hey, man, have you watched this show about. You know, it's really bad towards Palestinians that I was like, bro, I it's so emotional to me. You want me to continue to just be a part of this thing? Why are you trying to hurt? It's like so incredibly hurtful. Mm-hmm. And to say that we don't exist, we don't even though I'm here sitting here telling you a live testimony and there's millions of people like me that are displaced around the world mm-hmm. and trying to say I don't exist. Bro, that is just some shit. You know, that is just like, mm-hmm. I don't know what to tell you. I do. Stop mm-hmm. resisting and stop hijacking this anti-Semite. We're all Semites. Arabs are mm-hmm. Semites. I'm a Semite. You know, like mm-hmm. this conversation is like, no, now it's synonymous to Jews. So this is the way we're going to use it. And this way, it's a tool. You're telling me like we're cousins. We're biblically, we are cousins. Like, why mm-hmm. are you, why do you have a problem with this? What is, why, why do Americans don't know that Jesus is not his real name? Isa is also his name. Like, why mm-hmm. are you... You know, I don't believe in God. I believe in Allah. It's so incredibly ignorant, you know, to say something like that. And I feel bad for people like that. They're, I don't feel. I don't feel like what an like what an. I don't look at them like what an idiot. I go. I feel mm-hmm. sorry for them. I don't. I'm like I'm sad because I wish you knew the full history, buddy. Like that's how I feel right. about it. Like you know, this whole idea is like, oh, statues are going away. We're racing, and all white people are really upset about it. Mm-hmm. That's how we feel, right? Buddy. That's how we feel. You're trying to erase history, but at least we're the 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 act out with this is obviously it is you know as far as these statues here in America is stuff that is incredibly the link to people who either enslaved people or you know or at you know at their hands massacres and innocent lives, so many innocent lives lost. It's like why are we holding up these people? Why why mm-hmm. is it? Why did it take that long to get an MLK monument? Like why? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, that's that's what I it just like for me. It's like, I'm not going to deny who I am and what I do. And at the same time, when I have to support my people, what do you want me to do? Right. Of course, I feel that way. I hear stories of my grandparents and my grandfather, you know, having Jewish friends and they all, you know, like Jewish friends. And I'm not talking mm-hmm. about Zionism. I'm talking about Jewish friends right, right. who just hang out and just like we're so close. We both believe in monotheistic religions, oneness mm-hmm. of God. And it's just like, and, and there's like so many um, relatable things to each other's cultures. So we, you know, it's like this, and it's just like really frustrating, man. It's so frustrating. It's nauseating. It's painful. It's crushing. It's all that, but I can't allow it to crush me. I have to mm-hmm. continue to do my own contributions as a, as a Palestinian, as an artist and, and tell these amazing stories that should be told mm-hmm. of unity and understanding and, and this whole idea that, you know, like, I just it's just frustrating. The people without land, the people, nobody was there. Desert like word. Like, no, we 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 were definitely there, bro. There was <laughs> right. definitely people there. Like there's right. such a complex and layered story. Like, I don't know how to encapsulate it in a few minutes, but I would I would just say that, you know, 
Palestinians exist. There is 100% injustices that are happening with Palestinians and the land. And it's a land dispute. It's not a religious dispute. It is, it is, you know, Palestinians holding on to their culture and everything else that is involved around being Palestinian from, you know, and again, black folks understand this better than anybody else. So it's yeah. just like, you know, this idea is like, oh, okay, word, y'all, everybody came from Europe and you guys were eating hummus in Europe, for real? Mm-hmm. For real, you were making falafel up there in Germany? Like, is that what you were doing in Poland? <laughs> right. You were making falafel? I'm pretty sure you weren't eating any of this for several thousand right. years. And I right. don't know, I don't know how you can make, it's just really, really odd to me. Like, you can just make a claim that something happened 2,000 years ago and just come in and just take everything. I don't understand how... Please, somebody explain this to me, mm. you know, where it mm. makes sense and it doesn't. And I smile because I just, I see, I see it as a disruptor between the people. To me, I see mm. it as like, you know, we're closer than we think. And that is not good for the overall, you know, agenda or world economics, yeah. or whatever is in place there. But I just, I'm sad. I'm sad. It, it really is very, very sad to me that there's all this time is lost where it should be a, a case where compassion takes place, where the Jews experience such a atrocity as the Holocaust and mm-hmm. just absolutely despicable and mm-hmm. and it's it it you know a lot of a lot of people actually uh, for many many years would go to Africa. A lot of Jews would go to Africa, Morocco, for instance, or even go to you know Muslim courts in Spain because it was mm-hmm. one of the one of the most fairest, you know, like courts you can go to in that era. So it's like, it's like, we've been doing business. We've been around for many, many years together. We've been working mm-hmm. very well together. What is, what has changed here? And why do you feel like you can just take what you want with no repercussions? Why is mm-hmm. American senates and Congress voting unanimously about Israel and, and mm-hmm. everything else that we need in America is not being voted on unanimously, the things that you would think would be. So that's yeah, right. really fascinating to me. Those are just questions we should all, you know, think about. And uh, it's all to me. I would love to, you know, see it open to where my aunts can go pray in Jerusalem, mm-hmm. have the right to do that. They don't look like they're being, you know, um, in chicken coops as they're crossing one to the other. and. Mm-hmm separated in these um, dreadful camps that are surrounded yeah. by these hellacious walls and and it's it's just it's just very very sad to see that and and Christians say have this like when they go and even like Jews when they go on birthright and you see what and you see their experience and and imagine that you know as a birthright and you have like my mom who was born there that can't eat like for a long time couldn't go back there and when we did questioned by somebody who's been there for like 14 years she's 19 years old and uh, you know from uzbekistan and be like what are you doing here why are you going are you visiting who you like Mm -hmm. i'm coming home bro what are you doing why why are you why are you here it's the feeling that you get but my mom is such a patient loving caring person that she sat Mm -hmm. there with love and you know and she exudes that and and people just you know Right. Just are attracted to that and get over it. But it's, you know, it's such a yeah. long conversation, bro. Yeah. I mean, I think as Americans, we you, you touched on a lot of stuff. But one of the things that stood out was the fact that you're right, that American government, both sides of the aisle, support Israel overwhelmingly. And, and we fund a lot of that, that uh, you know, 
we fund a lot of the efforts to treat Palestinians like second-class citizens. Whether we know that as taxpayers or not, that's absolutely the case. And just from my view, it's, it happens for two reasons. One, you have a very powerful evangelical Christian uh, conservative right-wing base uh, that have a lot of money, and they, they fund uh, what's going on in Israel because they honestly believe Jesus is coming back to that region. You know what I'm saying? So they want to have power in that region, but even more dastardly. Uh, Muslims that, believe that too. That's that's exactly right. That's that's <laughs> what all that fighting for the reason. Everybody believes that they they guy is coming to the region, and so it's like. But also you have the United States imperialism, which you touched on as well. Um, is that the idea of just wanting to have control in that region and 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 not having respect for poor brown people? You know, and and that's really what a lot of it boils down to. Now, you also when you were a very young man. Uh, 19 years old, you performed for troops in the Middle East. Your brother was a pilot, like you said, right, at, um, for the United States. Um, obviously, the United States has a rampant history with uh, anti-Islamic imperialism. Um, why was it important for you personally to help humanize Middle Eastern culture for European soldier, uh, for U.S. soldiers in the Middle East? Man, I just wanted a tour, bro, and do stuff. Okay. No, <laughs> no, no, okay. no, no, no. It was... It was um, I mean, when it came, the first time I toured um, was April of 2001. Mm -hmm. And that was, you know, that was an exciting experience to think about. Like, oh, I'm this young kid. I'm going to go do shows in Germany, Italy, and Sicily and do stand-up. And, you know, I was maybe naive to the experience that they were having. But I was like, hey, man, if I, I've always, I've, I've always known that, it was such an incredibly underserved culturally in America that I knew someone was going to be that voice at some point. Like it was mm -hmm. really important to me to, to use, you know, cultural experiences, my own cultural experiences to, to, um, to uh, have influence in Western civilization. Like that's mm -hmm. definitely, you know, I knew it was there and I knew people would think it would be hilarious because it is very funny and it is, mm -hmm you know, interesting and very relatable at the same time. So to me, that's like the part of that recipe. Mm -hmm. um, but obviously, you know, five months later, 9-11 happened. And, you know, the, <laughs> the global climate significantly changed. So it, it it became really, really important now for me because I already had, because I did well on that tour and I was booked to do um, Japan, Korea, in Guam and I think Bahrain as well. Uh, and they canceled me. This was mm -hmm. in 2002. And I was told- Oh, you got canceled was, early, way before cancel culture. Yeah, I got canceled <laughs> from being Muslim Muhammad. And I was like, damn, I knew this, that I knew it was coming because my mom was telling me don't go. She was scared for me. And mm -hmm. and I was like, fuck that man, I'm going. You know, mm -hmm. like I, I was still performing in the South. Like I was still, you know, a Muhammad performing in Temple, Texas and Midland, mm -hmm. Odessa and, you know, home of Louisiana at the Lanya Music Cafe and getting my shit searched while I was on stage. Like shit was happening to me, too. I was having experiences. And, and one guy told me, you're really funny for a sand nigger after a show. Like I got <laughs> that shit, you know? Right. Like I so I was like, oh, really? Word you think is going to be much worse for me to go? Japan, Korea, and Guam. So they told me it was like for my safety. I was like, oh, they're trying to hurt me now? Like those guys mm -hmm. hurt me? And I I was so confident in my abilities to communicate on stage and also it'd be funny. I just thought it was dumb for them not to have me. I think it's the best time to have me. 
And I think that it would it would do a lot for those soldiers to get a whole nother perspective. Mm. Um, and, uh, you know, and get to do what I love at the same time, also doing a good thing. Right. Um, I discussed it with my mother extensively and she agreed. Uh, and it wasn't and I didn't even have a passport. I wasn't even a U.S. citizen, bro. Like mm. I had the you know, like I had a refugee travel document talking about being mm. vulnerable. I had to like right. fight to get the visas to travel. Like I had to like maneuver and get like recommendation letters to get them to speed up to get me in. like when I was flying, like think about how God works, bro. when I was doing Japan, uh, excuse me, Germany, Italy, Sicily. When I got the U.S. Uh, travel document, mm-hmm. the refugee travel document, not the passport, I went to the German um, embassy and was trying to get a visa. And he was like, oh, you're so lucky. Oh, today, <laughs> today, today here, they passed the Schengen law, yeah? So that means you can fly into Germany and then fly domestically to other countries. I'm like, is that really true? He was like, yes. The day I'm flying out, he tells me this. Mm. I'm like, yo, I'm just going to, I was so nervous. But it was like, I had to like, if I ever did a show in Holland, I would fly into Germany, take a train and go to Holland. Like, I just work it out. But anyway, we're doing these shows. It was so incredibly important. And and I would go there and these guys loved me, man. They were just Mm. like, they were just, um, and I loved them back, you know. And it was was a very real relationship. It wasn't like, Mm -hmm. they don't sugarcoat shit in the military, first of all. Mm And even you get off stage, they shoot the shit with you. They talk trash, you know, like you talk trash back. That's all fair game. You know? And that's actually one of the realest experiences I've had on those tours. Um, mm. And just like there was a quiet moment, you know, when I tell them around because it's like so incognito in certain situations. Right. And they're shocked by it. And just to go on stage like when it was Mo Short from Muhammad, surprise, bitches. Like, right, right, it, right, was, right. It, was, it was a whole, they would like pause, laugh. And then you would have like three people that... We'll never, you know, they're fighting it. They'll do this joint. And then you see their chest go, you know, they really don't want to ask, like, but they are. Right. Right. <laughs> so it's just, you know, those experiences. And there were some soldiers in there that were like half Syrian and mm-hmm. and, and half. This was in um, Iwakuni in Japan. I'll never forget. We're all standing in a circle talking shit. And these soldiers in their fatigues and, and this uh, two guys go, yeah, man, I'm half Syrian. I'm half Lebanese. Mm. And nobody in their own, you know, troop knew that. Like it was, it was, it was so interesting mm. to see me doing stand up there freed them to be themselves. Mm. Really fascinating, bro. And then I had, you know, shows in Kuwait and Iraq, and it was the first time I went back, and and it was weird. I stayed at Saddam Hussein's palace, basically the guy who uprooted everything for us at that time, and wow, it was weird. Like that was converted into a hotel and. Um, man, it was really fucking weird, bro. It was like mm. so, it felt, I just had a sick feeling in my stomach the whole time. Mm. And I slept through bombings there too, man. I was a <laughs> Still sleeping was like a baby as an adult. Man, I slept like a baby. I felt like uh, Joe Pesci from, uh, from my cousin Vinny when he finally <laughs> sleeps in jail when the sounds right. are going off. That's how I felt. Like, bing, bing, bombs are going off. And, right. and uh, the other comedian got up. He was like, oh, no. I was like, what? And I just went back to sleep. And he was like, I can't wait breakfast. He was like, I can't believe you slept through that shit. Like, <laughs> wow. You do a lot of accents in your comedy. I like to do accents too, but some a certain person that's the host of this show banned me from doing my British accent. So we're not gonna we're not gonna do it right now. Wait, oh, but why don't you, you do it? Why don't you do it for 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 Mo? And well, would you like me to talk in my? Because I'm from Manchester, and this and is really how I talk. But for some reason, the Talib seems to be a hater. 
What do you are think? Are you really Mom? from Manchester? She's not. Yeah, I'm really from Manchester. See, Tyler, if you thought I was from Manchester. Manchester. No, I didn't. What? The fact <laughs> you're saying Manchester already tells me that. Well, well, how do we say it? Manchester. Manchester. Yeah. There you yeah, go. I learned something Midlands, new today. For sure. <laughs> you're definitely not from the Midlands. I do. I don't do a really great British accent, but I love it. You know, I love doing it terribly. Oh, oh, hello. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, would you like some tea and crumpets? Oh, would you like some crumpets, yeah? Oh, you know, I just like fucking with them so much since they, you know, distributed so much to the world. <laughs> so it's like, <laughs> it makes me feel good. Just to, And I do it there in London all the time on purpose. Like, I'd like to fuck with them so much. You said that they answer, every, every, you said they answer everything in a question. <laughs> yeah, isn't it? Right, yeah, right. what'd you say? <laughs> uh, but it had you. Like, hey, yeah. Where's the Holiday Inn? It's over there on the left-hand side, isn't it? I'm like, I don't know. Is it, motherfucker? Tell me. How do you balance doing different accents and knowing that they're funny to our American-born ears, but also not making anyone feel like they're you're marginalizing anyone or mocking them for hey, the I'm way I'm American, first of all, okay? I'm a goddamn American. You understand me? Yes, I do. How do you feel like you're able to relate to the American people? Easy, because I'm American. All right. (laughs) No, it's just like. But I think I think her question speaks more to like if you're like say you're doing a German to other like German German or Russian. Yeah. Fuck Germans. I mean, (laughs) (laughs) also sorry. I don't like it. You don't talk that way. Yes, you do. (laughs) You do talk that way. I love it. It goes into his whole body when he does it too. You can't do the German accent without moving, or else it'll become Russian. That's the problem. Ah, you still like this, it needs to become bar. Russian. And then you move like this, and it becomes just German, you know? Like, <laughs> it's fun here. Oh, you've been to Berlin? Oh, I'm from Berlin. Yeah. Been to Hamburg? Oh. You know, like, it's just... It's just I feel the like white doesn't all... fall far from the tree, man. All of them are really close to each other. I feel like you're... What German are your favorite is, ones? Is, 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 a, is a character from Sprockets. That's what I feel like it is. <laughs> I've never said I didn't watch it. Well, people tell me like, "Hey, man, you sound like that fat caterpillar from A Bug's Life." <laughs> That's exactly right. <laughs> I'm like, no, I don't. And then I watched <laughs> Bug's Life again. I was like, oh shit, I do sound like that fat caterpillar. <laughs> oh, look at my wings! I'm a beautiful butterfly. <laughs> you know, like that. You need to watch Sprockets. Mike Myers. Sprock what are your is, favorite accents to do? Which was my favorite accent? You said. Yeah. It's definitely the German accent, probably my favorite, because it's so silly. You just have so much fun with it. Anything you say out of the German accent, like it's just, it's just so funny to me. Well, if you have to do better, yeah, Ooh, yeah, yeah. If you have to, yeah. And like I don't know, just the way it feels to me, it's really hilarious to me. It's so <laughs> damn funny. It's really, I just get so much. I just love it. Like, I don't know how to explain it. I just like really, really enjoy it. I love shitting on the British on purpose. They know I got love for them too. And I do so many shows there. And so just like, so they just like, uh, are you taking your piss? Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I just love that vibe. And I grew up on the, like this. I learned British English in Kuwait. So when I came oh. to America, I embarrassed myself plenty. You know, like, I didn't know there was such differences and kids would play pranks on me in school, like in recess. They would come up to me like, hey, Mo, you got a pussy? I'm like, yeah, I got a pussy, yeah. Like I have a dad <laughs> And everybody be like, oh, Mo has a pussy. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, like, it just really fucked me over. I, asked I didn't my know teacher what a pussy a was in elementary once. either. <laughs> yeah. I asked my teacher for a rubber because I You're thought You're supposed was... to know, though. 
Yeah, what a pussy is and who why should you know what a pussy is in elementary? How bad were you guys? I mean you had one, right? No, it wasn't bad. No, right. it's a vagina. <laughs> That's true. That's true. I didn't know either. I told you. Pussy is a vulgar way of saying it. <laughs> I did not know this shit either, okay? I mean, like, in Kuwait, put it in perspective, there's one kid that said the word fuck in school. He was dragged away and never saw him again. Oh, damn. I'm not kidding. He was Canadian. He just got there. I think he got kicked out of the school. Like, it was so... I didn't know any. I was so innocent. Like, I had no idea. And then America took it all from me. It was like kids dragging me, like, talking about, like, uh, I'm sure my dad's Playboy. I thought it was like a boy's, like a... Like a young boys, like fun magazine. I was gonna look at bikes and shit and like a playboy. Like I didn't know. It's got a little yeah. rabbit, bunny rabbit on it. Yeah, I thought it was completely <laughs> different. And then you open it up, I was like, Tinnies! Ah! You know, exactly it was like, like oh that, my right? God. Right, exactly. It was literally like that. It was terrifying. I was like, oh my God, let me see that. You know what I mean? Like, it was, I can't believe kids right. get to see these things. What are right. you guys doing out here? What are you right. guys doing? You know, like, so it was totally different. Like the the hit song when I got here was like I like big butts and I cannot lie, you know. What I mean that was it's a, a good song. song. And now, kids were yelling um, that out loud. Just like I don't know. <laughs> now your name I is Muhammad. Uh, I am also blessed with a Muslimy name, and uh, you know you talked a little bit about nine nine eleven and and how it changed things for you. But for me being a black man with a Muslim name, um, I got discriminated against, especially in airports. Now, Muhammad is is the most popular name in the world, if I'm not mistaken. Not just the most popular Muslim name, but I think it's the most popular name in the world, right? Correct. Um, that is. Um, talk to me a little bit about sort of being a man named Muhammad having to travel through airports as much as you do. Because I, I go through it a little bit as Talib Kweli, but I imagine Muhammad's go through it a lot more. Absolutely. No, I, I've, uh, first of all, the first time I met you, I said, Salaam Alaikum. Right. Um, Peace. And I'm well, like, you know, you. <laughs> like, listen, bro. You're like, listen, bro. <laughs> I think you ignore me the first time, and the second time, like, you took me aside, like, listen, bro. I know this happens, and I just realized, like, how I felt like a complete asshole. But it's, it's, oh, it's all good. Talib as well, you know. I like, mean, I, the, the, Talib. The, Talib was the first convert, right? He was the, the the first first one that Muhammad went to to his uncle Abu Talib and converted him know. to Islam, you know. There you go. They, what do you want me to do, bro? What am I supposed to do? I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, my name is Muslim. It's not just, Talib obviously is an Arabic name because in order for him to have converted, he was already named Talib, right? So he, he was some, before he was Muslim, he was Talib. So it's not I'm just right. a Muslim name, but because he was the first or one of the first converts, it's mm -hmm. associated with Islam. It, it just, it just is. I mean, it's gonna, for sure. Just it being Talib as well. I mean, Talib, yeah. I mean, it's, it's just gonna happen, you know? It's just yeah, yeah, gonna yeah. happen. I, like I said, I greeted you that way. And for me, like, it's interesting. I've had a lot of issues. It's like not only Muhammad, but, mm -hmm. also, but also because of me not having a U.S. passport right out right. the gate and mm -hmm. having a refugee passport. So it's like all kinds of extra time, you know what mm -hmm. I mean? Mm -hmm. Like I had to deal, I travel with a refugee travel document for 10 years, right? Mm -hmm. And traveling with that, you there's like, when I got my U.S. passport and I went through for the first time, I stood there, bro. But he was like, "Okay, you good?" And I stood there. Mm -hmm. He was like, "He was like, you're good." I was like, "Yeah, yeah. Where do I go?" I literally said, "Where do I go?" Mm -hmm. And he's like, "No, no, no. You can leave." I was like, "I can." <laughs> I was like, "Are you sure?" You right. Know, I don't want any problems, you know, because I I've spent you know a day at the airport, thirty hours mm -hmm. at the airport, just waiting. For people to just like 
you know, confirm that I was right. You know right, I mean? right. Um, um, so, so yeah, that is tough. But I would say the hardest thing for me is not that. The hardest thing for me is I feel uh, a tremendous amount of um, responsibility with that name, and I don't. Mm-hmm. There's no way to live up to it. Mm-hmm. I'm set up for failure, and I just I don't feel like uh, I just I think I'm more conscious of that than anything else. Uh, aside from like, you know, I say my special mom is most popular in the world, but I can't find a keychain with my name on it. You know, right. like I not one Coca-Cola with my, my name on it. And it's just like, right. it's just those are just important for those people who have my name, which is a lot. And mm-hmm. uh, to to make them feel, um, you know, welcomed and, you know, in their own respective countries. And 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 to me, it's like I feel that res- heavy responsibility more than anything else. And that's why, like, I enjoy going by Mo because it's like, you know, different environments you move in and out of. And it yeah. doesn't take away from, like, that name. So I feel way more stressed about that mm-hmm. than I do about everything else. Like, oh, man, it's just so mm-hmm. stressful believing in God. It's very stressful. But I, well, you know what I mean? You're, you're also part um, of, a, of a collective called, uh, uh, or you were part of a, Allah Made Me Funny. And, mm-hmm. uh, Longest running collective of Muslim comics doing y'all thing. Um, you said you said it's believing in God. Why is why was it so so important to put Allah in the title of the co- collective? Uh, so interesting, man. Because I was about to move to LA at that point mm-hmm. when I was asked to join. Allah made me funny. And Preacher Moss and Uzzurus Man founded uh, the tour in two. I think I think Preach did it in like two thousand one, like right after nine eleven. He was already mm-hmm. doing shows. Mm-hmm. Uh, with that name by himself. Mm-hmm. And then in 2003 or four, he got to Azhar and then Azim Muhammad was part of that. Mm-hmm. He was part of the nation. So it was just, and and it was like an idea of having a lot of Muslims represented in one show, whether mm-hmm. it be like the black Muslim from the nation or whether it be, you know, uh, Preach, who's a, a Orthodox Muslim. And then you have Azhar, who's Indian Muslim. And then they asked me, they're like, we'd be great if we could have an Arab stand-up comic part of it. And then I joined, I was like, I felt weird. I was like, man, what if I say no to this <laughs> and I move to LA to do what? You know, like to go for Hollywood? It was like, wait, because I thought it was really a corny name when I first heard it. I was like, man, I'm not trying to do Disney. You know what I mean? Like I'm mm-hmm. I'm a stand-up comedian. Like I didn't know how this felt to me. And then I just like, I decided to join. I was like, yo, what if I turn this down with Allah's name on it? So I don't, I don't really, um, you know, preach always wanted to be like, hey, we give reference to to the creator, and it's like we come from God, so God made me funny. It was like one of those things. Allah made me funny, and this thing wasn't intended to be like, um, you know, hurtful or or to be uh, um, so what I'm looking for, um, you know, blasphemous in any kind of way whatsoever. Mm-hmm. It was just actually giving reference to like, hey, Allah made us funny. The official Muslim commentary, let's go. You know, so that's no what we're doing. And then we toured all over the world, bro. We started like we made it into a documentary film. Like uh, mm-hmm. I'm very proud of the fact that we were able to like tour all over the world without any assistance from, you know, from Hollywood or anything like that. It was just a complete whirlwind for me. It was like, I couldn't believe we were performing in South Africa, selling out theaters there, selling out theaters throughout Europe. And you know, just grinding, having a great time and doing Holland and Australia and South Africa and all these different comedians started coming out of there too. Like mm-hmm. so many different comedians that saw us do it that are in mainstream doing stand-up comedy. I mean, Hassan Minaj, yeah. his dad brought him to our hotel room at the Ramada Inn in Sacramento after we did an event there. 
And we're like, who is this dad bringing his son here? Like, who is this mm-hmm. weird? It's a totally Muslim situation. <laughs> and he, oh, we open the door. There's Hassan Minaj next to his dad. And his dad's basically saying, like, hey, can you, uh, <clears throat> you know, you guys are comedians. You're Muslims. My son, you know, is doing comedy. He's Muslim. Can you please basically talk him out of it? <laughs> like, this the most insulting thing ever. Right. Like, this is what we do. And it was just kind of odd. But when we met him, I was like, bro, you're super legit. You're amazing. Like, keep going. Mm-hmm. We're just schooling him on stand-up and just pushing him as much as possible. He, We already knew this kid had a really bright future. And we became friends at that moment, bro. That was like 2000. I can't remember how long ago that was. It's like 2009 right. or something. Maybe, yeah, around then. So it was really amazing, like, meeting all these guys along the way. And, you know, Hassan, mashallah, that guy's, like, doing so well. It's my brother. And. And uh, it's just like the, that was the first experience that we did it for about 10 years, man. I mean, like I, yeah. we pulled back like in 2012, I was like, all right, guys, I got to focus. Like, I got to forget. Like, it's like, I forgot. I was like, hey, man, I got to get back to where was that? And right. that's how we met Chappelle, too. That's how we met Dave. And he came to our show in Columbus, Ohio. His family came out. He did an hour after our show. And mm-hmm. he, was super, he was completely clean and just didn't. I mean, it was amazing. He just did, mm-hmm. a, you know, this rift hour that was just fantastic that nobody's seen and i'll remember to this day and he right. never forgot he was like bro it's one of the best experiences so i'm glad i didn't say no that's my relationship there and it's like there's something about you know being six months too early rather than uh six months too late you know like you can't be yeah. you can be six months too early but you can't be six months too late really understanding your craft from growing and becoming a better stand-up mm-hmm. being in a situation where i'm touring with all of me funny being squeaky clean Mm-hmm. on stage yeah. and then touring the clubs in America, you're like working different parts of your brain that you never had before. And you can go into any environment, bro. I can go into the filthiest environments and be and and do my job and also go into uh you know a super clean environment and do my job. Like I, right. I can go anywhere. And that's like the most legal thing for a stand-up comedian. And I'm so glad I waited and before I really started pushing through. Um, I'm, I'm, this is the best thing that ever happened to me and I'm so glad I took that no doubt shout out to Hassan Minaj um, he just had a show recently we talked about he dealt with like anti-black racism from Middle Eastern and Indian communities and towards black Americans and African immigrants and I really appreciated him building that bridge between these communities but I like the it's fact amazing. that you mentioned Hassan and Dave Chappelle in that story Dave has been a real mentor to you He's taking you all over the world. Um, without getting too much into Dave's personal business, you mentioned that he came to the Allah Made Me Funny show. Um, I feel like you and Dave have a spiritual connection. Um, we're literally in Yellow Springs together because of Dave Chappelle. Um, what has the experience been like to get coached in a way by Dave? I mean, he introed your special. Um, you know, right. and then do you really feel like there's a lot that of people spirit- don't know that? Yeah, I, I heard his voice. That spiritual connection that <laughs> That that I that I that I noticed. Do you do you feel like that's that's a real thing? Um, yeah, absolutely, bro. It's a, it's a real thing. You know, there's moments in my life that I knew. You know, there's just this guttural instinct, but it's more than that. You know, mm-hmm. and it's just like your your body trying to communicate with you, and, and you either act on it, you believe, or you don't. You know, mm-hmm. and um, we do absolutely have that. And so I've had mentors in my life, like like I mentioned, Danny Martinez earlier. He took me under his wings when I was 17 years old, taught me everything about stand-up comedy, taught me about the history of stand-up, taught me what it takes to be a headliner. Like, 
you know, you can't host too early. If you're going to host, I want you to have at least 45 minutes because you never know when you have to stretch. If you're going to feature, you better have an hour because you never know mm. if the headliner is going to get fired and you get your chance. And if you headline, you better have at least 90 minutes. You know, that's like his, the way he brought me up. It was right. And he's like, you got to go on the road, get yourself a car, go hit up this shitty one-nighters and, and see how much material you actually really have. You know, mm. it's one thing to do it in a comedy club and when you go in a bar and try to, you know, uh, get this skill set of controlling the entire environment when they don't even want to hear stand up, and then you get them on your side and do it. That's how you do it. The train that training process was so incredibly important. Uh, meeting Dave, I always knew I was going to meet Dave, and I always missed him at the Laugh Stop in Houston when I first started. It was so interesting. And then um, years later, it was like two thousand five, six. I told my wife, I was like, man, I don't know. I just like I feel like we're watching. Uh, inside the actor's studio I was like I feel mm. like the way he's talking something he's saying is just like I feel I feel like I said we're gonna work I said it like this I said we're gonna work together mm. and she goes when? and I <laughs> was like oh oh no I meant to say like I have this very strong feeling that we're gonna work together I don't know and she looked at me like I was kind of crazy she hates me telling the story but I don't care Okay. <laughs> it's the truth <laughs> and uh and then like in 2007 like a year and a half later he just rolled up to the show i was like well this is crazy and it was just like a nice dinner we all hung out and it was it was lovely but we didn't like we met each other but we like in, in 2000 i think 11 or 12 he was in the bay and Azhar Osman and i were doing our own show in san francisco and he was in oakland and I had a dream about Dave a week before this is super personal i don't know if i should be saying all this but <laughs> that's a spiritual connection crazy. Yeah, yeah. I had like a dream the week before. And the only person I told about the dream was Azhar. Because mm -hmm. we're just that close. I just like, man, I had this like super real dream. Mm -hmm. I'll just tell you the basics of it, whatever. And just like I in the dream, I saw this guy that looked like Dave. And I was like, whoa, is that Dave? I was like, I'm going to go say hello. And I go to say hello to him. I was like, oh, that's not Dave. And then I look over and then I see Dave. I was like, oh, there's Dave. I was like, oh, what's up? And then I see that there's like a, like um, almost like, two trolleys, like a parade trolleys, and they had all these like black celebrities on them. Like Martin Lawrence was there, Jamie Foxx was there. I just I can't That's I just remember there's like a ton kind of, dreams of you famous be people there. And then I saw <laughs> and dreams. then I saw bro, I swear to God, bro, I I'm, I swear I'm lying. So I have witnesses <laughs> that I told the next day about this. So I just look up and I see Dave like doing one of these. He's going like this. Right. And Dave I was works like, oh, he's about to lot. walk in. Yeah, and he was doing that. I was like, oh, he's about to walk in. It would look like a church, you know? And I was like, yo, I was like, whatever. I know Dave. I was like, I'm just going to, I'm just going to walk in. I'm just going to stand there and just walk in with him. And we walked in and it was four, it looked like about, like, uh, it was like uh, seating, like there was like theater, theater style seating, but it's not mm -hmm. a stage. It's like completely flat at the bottom. It's like, and then we walk in and people went crazy. They were like, ah, I like that. It was great. And I look over to the left and I see a woman and I see three children in, in, in like three babies actually in mm -hmm. cribs like this and in an L shape almost. And then uh, I see this woman standing there. I was like, whoa, what is that? And then as the dream was done. Mm -hmm. Then a week later, I, a week later, Uzzer and I are in San Francisco. Uzzer finds out he's in Oakland. They're texting like, man, let's go by there. You guys want to mm -hmm. come in? I was like, yeah. And then uh, we end up, Dave was like, oh, man, all of me funny. And he takes his picture. Right. I, was, I was like, this is so stupid. Like, we wanted it. This is so dumb. Please stop. You know, like, mm. I can't believe you're, like, fans and 
you're a fan of what we've accomplished and we're like you're Dave Chappelle like this is so dumb and he's like you guys want to do sets tomorrow I was like yes yes we'll do sets tomorrow (laughs) so then it was like the next day and the next day and then I saw Smurf who I mistake you know Smurf or he was in the bay Smurf Griffin he was in He's in the bay, and he, from the bay, he looks like Chappelle. I was like, oh, what's up? And I mistook him, and I was like, well, that's crazy. Then we had, like, a situation, and it, he's so funny in the dream. I just wanted to, I, I wanted to, I didn't like him at first, and I didn't like him when I first met him. That's my boy. No, <laughs> what I'm a, just saying Smurf is, is a lot. Like, he's like, he's, you know, he's a very strong personality. Absolutely. He's a, once yes. you get to know him, he's like a, a one big, of the huge, great laugh. People. It's wonderful. Fills up the, the mm-hmm. planet, man. It's beautiful. Mm-hmm. And so I just didn't like. I was like, "Wow, it's so weird." And then the experience was kind of weird. And then I, and then and then I looked. I had a moment. I looked up at the marquee, and I looked at Azhar. I was like, "Bro, the name of the place that we're performing in is the chapel. It used mm-hmm. to be a church." I freaked out, bro. We we're both wow. freaked out because Azhar is the only person I told about this dream a week before. So it was just one of those situations. Like once you know, and then it's like, uh, you know, right. and then was- I'm doing Atlanta. Uh, uh, the root word of Chappelle is, is chapel. There you go. There you go. We can peel back that. the layers. Yeah, uh, I just, it was just one of those situations that I knew it. And then, like, we did Atlanta together at the Tabernacle. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, that's what I saw there, too. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So that was like the first time we actually did a tour for sure. Like the uh, first time we did a tour stop and he kept me like, you want to do tomorrow with me? You want to do tomorrow with me? You want to do tomorrow with me? I was like, yeah. And they just mm-hmm. kept going. And then, Next thing you know, it's like over a thousand shows and eight years. Yeah, later. Dave is loyal. He Dave, if you are a fan of Dave and you see him perform live, you know that he's loyal to a fault, not to a fault and a bad thing, but loyal, That's like so very loyal to to um <laughs> to the comedians that he likes. Yeah, he keeps he keeps a crew that that challenges him. You know what I'm saying? For when he oh, comes it's out, like yeah, man, it's that's a I mean like. I grew so much with Dave and he just like was so motivational and he just really believes in me and he's constantly pushing me. And, and, uh, and so that what I was saying is like Danny, you know, Danny, my mentor here taught me everything about stand up and what to be, how the tool, here are the tools to become a great stand up comedian. And Dave's tool shed is a lot more complicated and there's, mm-hmm. and it's, and it's just different tools that Danny hasn't, experienced before and very few mm-hmm. people will ever get to experience really um and for him to share with me how to do that because he believes in me in that way right. is incredibly empowering and his mother believes in me and the words that she's mm-hmm. exchanging with me I, I, bro i can't i'll yes. start crying bro it's like not even real I'm oh. like, i don't even know if this is real it's like right. when i saw you and 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 most in in uh in london this past trip and mm-hmm. you guys were doing definition and i just I just I didn't believe what I was what was happening. I'm like, what is what <laughs> is my life? Yourself. Love is I love. To, this is yeah. This is like, this is what we used to jam as kids. Like, what's happening? I'm on the same. Like, this is too much. This is like yeah, man. Uh, I was like, how do you not believe in God? Like, where I came from. For a kid, kid had to be born to a, a stateless Palestinian, you know, a Palestinian mother. Mm-hmm. To go to Kuwait and a war had to happen to take this kid all the way to Houston. This kid had to go to a comedy concert to be inspired to become a stand-up comedian. A teacher had to take risks on him to do it. He goes, he doesn't know where to go. He ends up at a comedy club and he sees in the back of the paper he's his funniest person competition. He walks in the laugh stop. Two days later, I'm on stage mm. doing shit jokes. 
you know, and trying to work it out, introduce right. myself to that world, learning about stand-up. Danny Martinez takes me under the wings. All these years go by. Do I go to L.A. right away? Now, let me hold on a second. This is, There's a tour going on. I didn't actually make money doing stand-up. I can build a fan base. We can tour globally. What? That's so cool. Let's go do that. Yeah, I'll do shows for the U.S. troops. Let's go see what that's about. Let's push the limits. Let's see if I can perform in front of them. I can perform in front of everybody. Oh, should I done all of me funny? I don't know. Now, now, like, forgot about the Dave Chappelle walks in. This is how it happened. And then it's just like you click. It's just like, how did this happen? Next thing you know, you're watching Black Star on stage. Like, <laughs> I don't know, man. I'm so grateful yeah. to God. You know, like that's it. Amazing. You just and 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 yeah. while you were praising the Most High, you just gave the blueprint. So I want the comedians and the artists watching paying attention to how you just broke down your journey about just being in the right place at the right time, being prepared for when the opportunity shows up. Word is bond. Ooh. Listen, and something that Danny taught me early on, because I wouldn't have had that relationship with anybody after that, and stand-up in particular. And he, this is something that he ingrained in me when I was 17. He said, he said, listen, if you don't listen to me, then don't waste my time, please. You know, I've taught a lot of kids, a lot of guys that went on to successful careers, and I feel like you're going to do very well. You're going to be on television. You're going to have your own show. This is the stuff he was telling me when he first met me. Right. And and he goes, but don't waste my time. I'm going to give you all these secrets, but you have to, if you're not implementing them, that you're not, if you're a bad student, that I don't waste my time. And he right. said, listen, this is a 20 years for overnight success. Are you willing to put 20 years into this before you become successful? And I said, took a breath and I said, yes. Mm -hmm. And that was it. And then I got my special 19 years in. Um, cast in a TV show. Great special. 19 years Vagabond, great special. You know what I mean? Like, it's just one of those things, like, are you going to listen? Once you mm. listen, you implement the things, you know, the, the tools that you have, and and you get better. If you don't put in the time and you're not willing to sacrifice, then you're wasting your time. Speaking of your TV show, uh, mm -hmm. Hollywood has been bringing a lot of diverse shows. and Even from reality with Shaws of Sunset, and then they have, like, Never Have It Ever, Tell me about your show, Rami, and why is it so important to have a role like that? And why do these shows matter so much? I mean, aside from like Arabs never been portrayed on television. I mean, aside, they yeah. have, you should watch that documentary, Real Bad Arabs. It'll tell you why that's so important. You know, why it's it's uh, real. It's R-E-E-L. It's not R-E-A-L. Real Bad Arabs is, uh, is um, a great, a very important you know, I think it's like 30 minutes long documentary mm -hmm. of how Arabs are portrayed in American cinema. And if you see that, you'll understand why it's so important to have it. And, and certainly now more than ever, um, it's important to have these Arab stories, just like it's important to have these, you know, black stories and these origin mm -hmm. stories to explain where they come from and to preserve history and and to even like bridge the gap. And it sounds it sounds so silly, but it's like, hey man, I just want to tell really good stories that are authentic, that tells our perspective, that is wildly underserved. So it really influences culture in a very positive way. Like why that should be going on anyway. And it's also hilarious. Like stop resisting. Everyone who has the ability to put out great stories on television should stop resisting. What you resist shall persist. The longer you persist with that, is the longer the long you're gonna stress yourself out. So just let go, put out really great stories on television, and that's what it's about, you know. And mm -hmm. and what that does, and and those kind of stories will live forever and inspire another generation, inspire another generation. I mean, just like we saw in hip hop from the '80s to the '90s and to now. I mean, mm -hmm. so it's it's you know. 
That's that's yeah. why it's so important. And also, like, understand, like, people don't even know what words mean. Like, Allah means people are afraid of that word. It's like it's just it just means God, bro. It's a very mm-hmm. it's a beautiful word for God. You know, it's like just chill, right? Be cool, be cool. Yeah. Tell these stories. Uh, Vagabond as a special is I, I just mentioned and is fantastic. And one of my favorite parts Thank of it you. is when you tell the story of being bumped up to first class and you're sitting with Eric Trump, uh, Donald Trump's uh. son. In first class, um, you've told the story a few times, and it's in the special. Um, but my question is this: You, as someone who comes from a refugee background, an immigrant background, you as an Arab American citizen, you have been personally targeted by Donald Trump. You and your family and people like you, in a huge way. Now you make light of it, and you 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 sort of gleefully relish the opportunity to to get some clap back by sitting next to Eric Trump. But beyond that story that you tell, how do you combat being such a, like a triple threat to the Trump administration? Damn, you're really <laughs> trying to get me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, my when I sat next to him, bro, I freaked, I thought I was on candid camera. Mm-hmm. You know, I was like, y'all just trying to subconsciously recruit me into the Illuminati. What the fuck <laughs> is happening? <right> <laughs> I was like, is this some kind of like setup and shit? Like, is this right. how you just, uh, and, and I don't think Eric even knows. Like they were just like, Hey, go check out my golf course. And in the back, like, yes, right. Ma-ba-dama. You know what I mean? Like I don't, it was very weird, bro. And I just came from Australia to go to, I'm heading to Scotland. So it's, and I had, and I had no, I just, it was a straight flight all the way through. I had a layover in Houston for 24 hours, see fam. And then I continued all the way. I was exhausted. Didn't know I was going to get upgraded. I was, I'm a procrastinator. So I didn't put my name on the list. You know what I mean? Like I just, mm-hmm. it was all a surprise. So, um, and then I got, re- I mean, like we landed in Glasgow and he didn't say a word to me. We spoke for like 30 minutes before he passed out. And mm-hmm. I was, and you got to watch the special. I, I just hate to repeat that. So yeah, on Netflix, on Netflix, on Go to Netflix. Go to Netflix to see Vagabond. So, and so, and so for me, my main concern was because I went so viral with this post because I just, you know, I texted all my friends, you know, like this is a hilarious thing. All my friends are comedians and mm-hmm. saying, oh, so Rami, Hassan, and I was like, and Dave, I was like, yo, this is hilarious. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then I didn't know that it was going to be such a, I really, I really did not. Who knows that they're going right. to go viral? Like they called it super viral. And fuck that. I mean, that means you went around the planet a few times. Was that like, happened to me once. Physical. Once in my life, when I argued with Don Lemon, I went super viral. Um, it's, I woke up in Glasgow to my phone like it was a movie. Like the ticker kept going up. Mm. I was like, "Yo, what the fuck just happened?" And I was scared. I was paranoid mm. because the first thing, the first reaction I had was like, "Ugh, I'm gonna be famous for this." Ugh. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. I'm, feeling, I'm talented, bro. I'm so <laughs> right. talented. Like I don't need. Ugh. Oh no! Right. You know, like, right, 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 right. I should have never put this out. You know, if I wanted that kind of like publicity, I could have just milked every experience I had in the South that was very racist right. and shit. Like, but I never wanted that. My friends were like, "You should go to the press." I'm like, "Fuck that, bro!" Like, I just I'm not doing that. I'm just gonna keep getting funnier. <laughs> right. And so, and so, my main concern was like, I gotta make this funny fast mm. because if I don't, then I'm gonna look like some hokey comedian. You know what I mean? Like, right. So my, that was my main concern. I was like, yo, I can't, I can't let this happen. Right. And uh, it went around so deep. I would do the concert dates 
and I would leave and go do open mics like in the Midlands or wherever that could get a hand, you know, get into it. Mm-hmm. And then like, people kept writing stories about me and I didn't even have conversations with them or interviews with them. And I asked Dave and I was like, bro, what do I do? He was like, you should do these interviews. You should do like pick a handful and mm-hmm. control the narrative, you know, and, and tell what the story was and just get it over with. So that's what I did. And I always was like, oh, man, they're going to use me to like, see, look, we could sit next to. Right, right. You know, you know what I mean? like, look at this. We're, yeah, because when I told him my background, I was like, salam alaikum and right out the gate. And he was like, what's happening kind of thing. Right. And, uh, and he was just like, you know, it just like, yeah, man, my dad's a master publicist, bro. What do you want? You know, like, that's mm-hmm. what he does. That's what we right. do. And he was very proud of his golf course and shit. And <laughs> he was just telling me about it. And he was like, I, I have Arab friends, you know, like, like, hey, man, I got black friends. You know, it's the right, same right, right. kind of thing. You know, I'm not he racist. You know, you. my homie's black in Chicago. Right. You know, like that kind of thing. I do business in Dubai. You know, shit like that. That's right, what he was right. telling me. Was oh, my like, God. That's so out of touch. <laughs> that's not that's not it, bro. So out of touch, you know. So it was really funny, bro. I was like, all right. But I was exhausted. I wasn't trying to have like a full on conversation. The lady, the white lady behind me was just doing this like the whole flight. Right, I'd like, wake like, up from like this from mid sleep and see people like taking selfies, pictures like above. Oh my God. I was like, man, where are those pictures? I want to see. They they on the internet somewhere. <laughs> we could do a nah, deep dive. I don't somebody. think any of those people put them out. I don't think mm. anybody put them out. It's such a pleasure to talk to you, brother. Um, I my love God, hanging out man. with you. You Sorry. have also worked in the hip hop space with two of my favorite artists and they're both uh, practicing Muslims. Um, that's brother Ali and the narcissist. Yes, um, tell me about your relationship with them two brothers. Cause I think they're both highly underrated artists and human beings. Oh man. I couldn't agree with you more there. I mean, brother Ali is just like, and Narcy, bro. They're just like mm-hmm. such incredible talents. I mean, like they're just like, um, I mean, we have a, you know, Brother Ali, I met, he, I have a, <laughs> there's so many stories of us together. I always stutter when right. I have so much going on in my head. But with Ali, man, he's just, uh, man, that brother there is, I'm going to speak about them separately. There's not one that I prefer over the other. Those both my No, brothers. I understand. And they're incredibly talented. And Ali being from Minneapolis and mm-hmm. and that history of hip hop there as well is so fascinating yes. and many. And uh, and uh, just to know he's like this albino guy that's just like mm-hmm. I've never, he's so funny, bro. He's like one of the funniest guys I've ever met. Aside from him being a, a lyricist, like a master mm-hmm. lyrically to me, and just somebody who is um, deeply like who is needed in America today. Really, if you don't yes. know his work, please his go song, check d- it his out song, immediately. Dear Son speaks directly to what's going on right now in Minneapolis. And Ali calls me and leaves me these very touching, heartfelt, loving voice notes about episodes of People's Party. It's, it's, it's beautiful. He's incredible, man. He said he does the same thing. He sends WhatsApp messages yeah. that I'll treasure for the rest of treasure for the rest of my life, bro. He's like that. He's he's such a good, like such a good human being. I just I just um I feel like in his presence, I feel like I just need to just shut up and listen. You know, mm. that's how I feel for me personally. Like I just love the man so much. I love his family. I just love what he's about. As an yes. artist, he's absolutely incredible, and uh, it's um, it's it's disgusting that he's not just like in the conversation of yeah. in a in a much different. You know, like everybody in hip hop that. That knows knows who Brother Ali is. His five fingers of death is <laughs> ridiculous as yes. well. Like just seeing that how pure he is, how 
how much light he is. Like, he's just mm-hmm. such energy. And when he's in that flow, his concert, like, seeing him in his flow and yeah. how he's, like, hypnotized, you know? He's an incredible, incredible human being, and he's a blessed human being. Narcy is one of my favorite. Narcy. most eccentric, hilarious. Uh, you're in my from, video. He's from the future. Right. You're in my, <laughs> you're in my video. Narcy, Narcy directed a video for Traveling Light, and Mo is in the video. Shout out to Narcy, but keep going, keep going. Tell me about yeah, that. Yeah, man, Narcy, Narcy is one of my favorite. He's one of the funniest, uh, like uh, comedians. To me, he's like a comedian, right? He's he's yeah, definitely I mean, a rapper, yeah. but he's he, all of his stuff has these rapper, com- author, comedic comedian, elements. professor. Right. Yep. He is absolutely. He's a professor. I've, I did. Uh, I did a um, at his at the university in Montreal with him. Uh, I did uh, one of his uh, segments that he was doing for a while. I forgot what it was. I was there in person. We had a good time. We all hung out in front of his students and had a conversation. He's he's an incredibly talented person in in, in mm. variety of ways, like you mentioned. Um, man, he's from the future, bro. That's what I yeah. see. Is like somebody was yeah. from the future. People are are catching up. Right now, it's starting to catch up, and uh, the more success I get, the more that I'm that I want to share and have him involved in that because he's and for Brother Ali too, and and Tariq is I know obviously Black Thought has oh yeah absolutely. the roots and everything else, but he did the song for my special, and I was trying mm-hmm. to get him and Ali on it at the same time, and it was just uh it was a it was I, you know he's beloved by Tariq and everything else, and I, and it just missed the opportunity, but inshallah in the future we'll make something happen like that and to. And it's just a huge, I mean, you can speak on this. I mean, like Muslims and hip hop. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I mean, the best hip hop started from, you know, back in the days, the source did when the source before, before they changed the logo to what it is now, the source did an episode uh, issue where they put uh, Big Daddy Kane and Lakim Shabazz on the cover of the source. And I forget the actual verbiage, but it was something like hip hop meets Islam. And this was a very important developmental thing for me because reading that, I realized that all my favorite MCs at the time was Muslim. And it wasn't just 5% because 5%, there was still like, there was this overlap with 5% and the Nation of Islam and a more traditional Islam um, where it, was, it wasn't it was quite sussed out the way it is now. And um, those groups all sometimes don't get along and have different philosophies, but in a hip hop, all the different factions of Islam seem to come together. And I feel like the best hip-hop, obviously obviously 5% is overrepresented in hip-hop. You know what I'm saying? But but those 5% brothers, in my perspective, often grow up. Still, they still keep the, the teachings of, of the father, uh, Clarence 13X, but a lot, of, a lot of them grow up to start to embrace a more traditional Islam, and it starts to be an overlap and a melding of it. And then you just start to see the, the the family. Like, you start to see, you know, what what Wu-Tang represents, what Rakim represents, what Dave Chappelle and Most Def represent. You know, it's all different things, but through, through, the, through, the, through the lens of hip-hop, it all becomes just something that's beautiful, like a tribute to God. And it's very... I, I, I got to shout out the brothers, because especially my brother Yasin Bey... This is a brother who, this is the most pure artist I know. He makes me better as an MC because of his connection to Islam. I'm not a Muslim, but because Yassin struggles to always praise God and always make sure to take the spotlight off of himself and never make it. That's why he changed his name from Most Def to Yassin Bey. He struggles as an artist to 
be as pure as he can and not get into the trappings of celebrity and 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 just being so confident in yourself that you forget to give the praise where it's supposed to be. His lyrical focus is so sharp because of that faith that it makes me sharper when I have to when I have to rap with him. So you know, I really really appreciate Islam's impact in hip hop. I I couldn't. I mean, that's yeah. What do you need me to say? <laughs> I mean, this is the stuff that I, I found out later about it. By the way, quick shout out to Slim Thug. I forgot to mention him in that group. Yes. There's so many that I remember. Thugger. Slim Thug is Mr. Northside. Northside, Kiki on the South Side. Like, was, and, was, and and what, and be, you shout out Slim Thug. Slim Thug had was dealing with COVID issues, so I'm glad yeah. that he's feeling better, got better. And also shout out to Scarface, who was really going absolutely. through it. Absolutely, Scarface. Oh, man, come on, man. Yeah. Man, absolutely, absolutely. You shout so out to many, that's what I'm court. saying. It's like you can't help but forget people. Like, it's the worst. Mm -hmm. uh, but I, what do you think about, like, there's a lot of conversation about, like, Muhammad Ali being the first rapper, really. Yeah, I mean, you know, for me, I connect hip-hop to Negro spirituals. And and I connect it all the way yeah, back to course, the so yeah. Psalms and the Bible. And, and I don't I know I know the Bible better than I know the Quran, but I imagine there's uh, the Quran is known for being very lyrical and poetic. And so I imagine there's things in the Quran that I could probably attribute that say that's the origins of hip-hop as well. Um but as far as in America, there's definitely the, the, the gospel I, I, music. I have the yeah, absolutely. The gospel music, yeah. I'm saying with the Quran and stuff, I just like, hey guys, I know, uh, just speaking to Muslims right now watching this, they're like, hey man, I can't believe, hey guys, I know, I know it's a lot deeper than that. There's a lot of things, okay? And you got to understand Talib's point in this situation. <laughs> speaking to Muslims, you got to oh, get some context. Say it's blasphemous. You, you got to get some cool context, right? We right. know, we know, okay? We know. Bismillah. All right. <laughs> That's right. I'm glad you did that yeah. for me. You, you made sure I, yeah. I didn't get canceled in the Muslim world. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah, but, no. Uh, <laughs> nobody's getting canceled, bro. We're doing our best out here. <laughs> no doubt. But um, I mean, I, I think yeah, that hip-hop... No, Muhammad Ali, has, I meant like in the modern day era. Yeah, I, I mean, well, me, I, like, I, yeah. for me, it goes from that era to the, to the spirituals to like, you know, Muhammad Ali was, he was, he was, he got it from someplace, but he made it his own. And so he was the, he was the... I look at Muhammad Ali as the same time period as like um, the the last poets at Gil Scott Heron, but he made it mainstream. They were still dealing with radical black politics, and Muhammad Ali, you know, he was radical when he was dealing with black politics. But that's what wasn't what his rhymes was about. His rhymes was about float like a butterfly, sting like the the bee. His rhymes was about you know self adulation, being pretty, you know. Um, but yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he had some Muhammad, poems. He had some poems no, that he had on. He, Muhammad Ali got yeah. bars. Let's not get it. Let's not get yeah, it twisted. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Muhammad yeah, Ali got sure, bars. Sure. He got bars. Well, I and think it's like one of the best stand-up bits I've ever heard. Talking about like the black and white difference. How come I see no black angels? Yeah. And like, Mama, where are the black angels at? Yeah. She, she's like, they were taking the pictures. You know. Yeah. It was like, why is angel food oh. cake white? Oh, it's gorgeous. Why is oh. devil food? I mean, come on, bro. Yes. That's like the yes. best stand-up bit. He was doing that's, a stand-up bit. That's that's a stand-up bit. That's a that's a rhyme. That's a hip hop song. That's that's yep. a fiery speech. That's a historical yeah. lesson. That's all those things at once. Absolutely. Yeah. That's oh, the man, greatest. That's one of my favorites. God, I love him so much, bro. I love that man. So I've never met him. I went to his funeral. Mm. I laid Hamal. I never met him, but I'm friends with his, with his eldest. She's she's uh, just being around her makes me so happy. You know, mm. I mean, he's he's just such a bro. I had like anyway, yeah. It's just so much too personal. I'll just leave it. Mm. Well, I brother, just love him so much. Love Islam is love. wouldn't be Islam without black folks in America. Period. Oh yes, you know? that's real. That's real right there. That's what it is. Ladies and gentlemen, you heard it for yourself. Give it up for the one, the only, 
Mo, and you say the last name. Amir. Amir. Mo Amir. <laughs> People's party guest. Uh, we love you, brother. Give it up. Man, I love you too, man. Thank you so much.